This is episode 101 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are A Game Plan for Surviving an Arena Attack How to Make Money Off-Grid Making a Living from Your Homestead and The Four Morons of the Apocalypse Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, so a couple of quick things before we get started. I've been talking about a Houston Prepper Meetup. So if you are in uh, the Houston area or the surrounding area and you'd like to get together with a couple of other preppers, uh, just drop me a line. Come, to, come over to the website, uh, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and uh, send me an email. I'm also going to link to just uh, a, a quick little write-up that I did on Ed That Matters. And so you can uh, check that out on the show notes. So uh, if you're interested in that, I think we're shooting for this Thursday, and uh, you know, so looking forward to that. Um, so we had a quick, we had a just a well. Let me start off by saying this: we had a comment on uh, the podcast on episode 100. And so if uh, you missed any of the episodes last week, I think last week we had some really great episodes. Uh, they kind of went long. Some of them did go long because there was some commentary, but uh, I think we had some really great articles that we were able to uh, to read and uh, you know talk a little bit about. So if you missed any of those, go back. I know over the the holiday weekend, uh, some people did miss. Uh, but so if if you need to go back there, especially like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but I think all of them were really really great. So on the Friday podcast, uh, I read a, an article from Kendra over at New Life on, on the Homestead. And a really great article, not one that you normally would uh, think that a homesteader would, would write. And um, Ray left a comment on episode 100 that, uh, yeah, it's, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the Cashless Society reminds me of Mark Goodwin's books. And uh, so, you know, Ray's, uh, Ray's over on the Facebook group. We talked about the Mark Goodwin's books, and I talked about him a little bit last week. That we were, you know, that was in an interview with him. Uh, and so, man, you you're going to be treated this week, right? So on Wednesdays we do an interview. Uh, this Wednesday, actually, I think it's going to be too long to do all in one episode. So I, I might wind up having to split that one up. So this week will be a little bit different, different format. So when I, I I'm trying to like, hey Todd, how are you going to do? the intro because I always the intro and I try to make I don't put bumper music on I don't do any I I just want to like just get straight to like the audible just just pure audible I'm not saying that I won't do that in the future maybe in the future I don't know but um just a straight audible and uh but I always talk about what articles you know we're going to be we're going to be looking at or I'm going to be reading and uh on Wednesday I'm not going to do that because it's just like straight interview because it'll take up the whole time so uh, be looking for that. Thanks, Ray, for leaving the comment over there on uh, episode 100. And uh, so again, like I said, if you if you haven't hit it, uh, you know, go check out the other episodes from this last week, uh, 96 to 100. And uh, you know, if you uh, haven't yet, come sign up on the Facebook group and uh, you know, be a part of that community over there. There's a lot of people signing up. Hey, I did send out, so uh, again, like always, I'm recording this on Sunday night so that it'll be ready for Monday morning, uh, and especially those of you that are commuting, right? Uh, I know that there's some of y'all out there. Uh, I am sending out an email Monday morning uh, that I'm partnering with Sun Oven, and Sun Oven is going to do uh, 
a webinar for us, just a webinar on how to use the Sun Oven. I'll be sending that out to the email list, to the to the more self-reliant uh, email list. And uh, so, and I'll be talking a little bit more about it and giving you an opportunity to sign up uh, as well. So I'm first, I'm giving that, that first uh, crack at the, at the webinar to register uh, to the email list because they have signed up. And so I'm sending it out to them first. When you sign up, you get a, uh, a free ebook, a 120-page ebook on emergency preparedness. And so uh, you'll get that free, but you, just for signing up for the or registering for the the webinar. And so uh, that'll go out. But then I will go ahead and start releasing that information as well on the podcast and on uh, you know on on Prepper website as well. All right, so. I don't know if you can hear that. I mean, it's thundering out here where uh, where I'm at in uh, in Houston. It's uh, it's good. We needed the rain, so it was thundering and, and uh, lots of rain. All right, so let's go ahead and get to our first article. The first article comes to us from preparednessadvice.com, and um, this is I I really wanted I thought, started thinking about this article because I went to an event today and uh, I started started. Anyway, I'll talk about that in just a minute after I read this article. But I was kind of shocked after after this event when I was walking away. I was like, man, this this really wasn't good when you think about it. So, but anyway, so I'm gonna go ahead and, and uh, start this one: a game plan for surviving an arena attack. And so, if you're gonna you're gonna check out, like, man, I don't go to a, just hang tight because there might be some useful information here that is it might not necessarily be an arena. You might be going to your kids basketball game you might be going to you know you might be at a big store for whatever reason you know and so there might be something useful here that you can uh that you can use so let's go ahead and start reading this one i'm paranoid no doubt about it i hate crowds and can't remember a time when i felt comfortable being around big groups of people so when i heard about the manchester england terror attack at the ariana grande concert and the questionable arena safety my first thought was i wouldn't have been caught dead there anyway yeah i had to first look up ariana grande not impressed but even i had been a big fan even if i had been a big fan i still wouldn't have been at that concert among those thousands of people why to me a crowd that size in a building that forces the maximum number of humans into the smallest amount of space possible scares the bejeebers out of me i'm not sure total arena safety is even possible imagine you're sitting in such a space probably not to listen to ariana but more likely enjoying your favorite team and a cold beer with friends a very loud explosion goes off somewhere close by and instantly every single person in the arena panics I've been in panicked crowds before, and it gets ugly very fast. Now imagine you want to escape yourself, but maybe your wife and kids are with you. The first thing you have to do is get out of your row and make it to the aisle. You know how little space there is in those rows, and they'll be clogged up instantly by people trying to grab their purses, their kids, their souvenir cups, all their half-eaten hot dogs. It's going to be insane. If you're lucky enough to get to the aisle, now you have to decide whether or not which exit is your best bet to safety and fresh air. Here's where it gets dangerous because you have multiple rows exiting into just a few aisles. Some people will be going up the steps to an exit. Others will be racing down the steps. If a single person trips, they could be trampled to death. Only three or four people who are moving slowly 
freeze in terror, or fall to the ground will clog up the aisle for everyone else coming along behind them. Terrorists often plan secondary explosions to create even more panic and death, so imagine the reaction of the crowd in that scenario, rushing like panicked wildebeest, wildebeest from one explosion only to encounter a second one as they try to escape. Most arenas are designed for every aisle, entrance, exit to empty into a circular concourse area where restrooms, snack bars, and the like are located. Before and after a game or a concert, these become highly congested. In a terror attack, this is just one more area I would want to avoid. But in order to escape the arena entirely, there's no choice but to navigate through the crowd and find the closest exit. If you can, amidst screaming, wild-eyed people, and perhaps smoke and debris from a bomb blast. Any of these choke points must be avoided at all costs, but when the adrenaline is rushing, you're looking to make sure the family is still with you. You may or may not be able to make the right safety decisions, such as looking for a secondary exit that most people don't notice. Still, want to go to that football game? The way I see it, you either choose to not go and stay home to watch it on TV, pay the extra for the NFL cable network, it'll be a lot cheaper than buying game tickets, paying for parking, beer, and hot dogs, or stay paranoid the entire four quarters. Man, I just, that is for sure. Going to any kind of uh, professional sports nowadays, it's absolutely crazy. Um, but that's a good idea of, you know, if, if you are, that's something that you want to do, I mean, it will save you money. Just pay for the NFL network. Along those lines, then, if you have no choice but to go to an arena, choose carefully where you will sit, where you'll park, and make situational awareness a top priority. Again, there's links uh, through this article you'll want to check. When making plans to attend a game, rodeo, concert, or some other big event, look for police presence. Not all venues have the same level of security. You want to attend events at locations with law enforcement in full view and lots of it. Some venues make a point to have large city buses blocking the main entrances from anyone crazy enough to try and ram an explosive-filled vehicle into the main pedestrian areas. Take some time to view exterior shots of the arena location, street names, parking areas, multiple driving, walking routes to the arena itself. Keep in mind that the Manchester attack happened in an area near the box office and one of the main entrances, presumably to allow the terrorist to escape. In fact, he was able to escape unharmed. Unless the terrorist is suicide-minded, the attack may very well happen in an area that provides a fast and easy escape route such as a main entrance, the box office, a pedestrian area, and the like. There is also a map of uh, the Manchester area, how the, uh, the uh, attacker came in, if you're interested in that one. Uh, once you have the lay of the land, study the floor plan of the interior of the arena. Do a little reverse engineering and a map on a map of the arena. Find your preferred main entrance, then follow the entrance to the section of seats you can afford. Look for seats at the end of a row near an aisle exit and pull out your credit card. On game day, to help everyone remember which entrance you use, play the role of a tour guide. Here, quote, here we're entering the south entrance. Now, right across the street is the Hard Rock Cafe. That will help you remember which entrance we used. Identify landmarks can go a long way I'm sorry, identifying landmarks can go a long way to cement in memory a route to follow. Everyone in your group should know where to meet in case someone gets separated, and in a terror attack like the one in Manchester, you have to know that's a very real possibility. 
Outside of most modern arenas, there are eye-catching monuments, artwork, and other displays. When your group is entering the arena, select one of those as the family or group meeting point, and it wouldn't hurt for everyone with a cell phone to take a picture, a quick pic, of that spot. In a panic, it would be easy to forget. Young kids should have in their pockets an ID card with contact information for parents. I've heard of writing mom or dad's name and cell phone number on a young kid's arm with a sharpie, but I haven't done that myself. On the big night, get seated strategically. A principle we use when we're out on family hikes or bike rides is to have one adult or responsible teenager lead the way with the strongest family member coming along behind the group ready to help or even pick up and carry the smallest, weakest person if necessary. This is easy to put in place when selecting seats. Make sure the kids are seated in between the strongest, oldest family members and make sure everyone with you knows where to find the exit and agree to all exits together, following the same route. If one of your kids ends up heading towards a different exit or gets lost in the crowd, the nightmare experience will intensify tenfold. At this point, buy that beer, get popcorn and hot dogs for the kids, and sit back and enjoy yourself as much as possible. Every day and night around the world, millions of people attend events just like this one in relative safety. It's just guys like me, born paranoid, who cannot fully relax because that's the way we are. So there's only four comments here, but um, you know people are leaving some interesting information. One One guy, Kevin in Texas, said... I don't agree with these recommendations. Anyone who gets out of their seat risks getting pushed down the steep concrete stairs, possibly over the edge to the level below, or crushed in the exit tube. I think you're much better off to stay in your seat, lift up your feet up onto the seat, and curl into the smallest ball you can. So, um, and then someone someone said uh, underneath that or replied to that, you know, that's not a bad plan if uh, it, it would depend on the circumstances. So I agree with that, right? Uh, you know, in in the Ariana Grande thing, you saw people taking video, and some people were like up high, and they were, um, you know, they were kind of going slow. They weren't like rushing out or anything like. They were actually taking video. Um, so that's not a very bad idea, you know. I would want to think that maybe going up and trying to find an exit that way would uh would be the the route to go on something like that because you have those you know the potential for the secondary thing but uh you know something to consider you know when you a lot of the times when you go to uh you know something like a, a football game or or whatever a big arena stadium uh you know you can print out uh, a map of the area and so you can kind of like hey what are maybe exits that might not be used uh as much you know, or what's the closest exit to my section that we can like get out you know and not necessarily uh go the route that everybody would be going out the main doors so that's something to uh to consider there the reason i, I would brought this up is because we went to um it wasn't a big arena but we went to a uh, an event in, in my area uh today and um, took the kids, wanted to go and just kind of a you know father son type of experience, and and so we went to that. And I do have those those thoughts. I mean, I, I I'm not as paranoid as this person who wrote this, right? As Noah who wrote this, uh, but uh, I I do have those thoughts on a regular basis. You know, like hey, this would be the perfect time to blow something up, or this would be the perfect time to come in and start shooting things up, and this would be you know and um, when I was walking out, I, I I noticed a couple of things. First of all, I don't I didn't recall seeing any police. 
um, that bothered me greatly. I mean, I, I wind up, my dad went with us, and I wound up turning to him, and I said, you know what? I said, I, the security around here sucks. Uh, I, when we walked in, they had a place where you could walk in with, uh, you know, with bags. So if you had a bag, you would be searched, right? But everybody else who was walking in, they just kind of just walked right in. Now, I know like uh, when you go to Reliant, I don't think it's called Reliant anymore. I think they changed the name. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, when you go watch the Houston Texans or whatever, um, you know, I have, a, I have a, a friend at church who has season tickets. He's taken us a couple of times. I mean, they, they wand you, right? They have a wand, and, and, and they're, they're, they're checking you out that way. But something like this, I mean, there were still thousands of people here, uh, but that didn't happen. I mean, you know, you just walked in, and uh, they weren't checking you out. There wasn't anything like that. Uh, and I, I was just, man, if something wanted, someone wanted to do some harm here, they could have done some real harm here in this situation. And like I said, there, I don't, I didn't recall seeing any police presence, you know, walking out, uh, of the, of the, uh, the area or walking in. I don't remember. And, uh, that's pretty sad. And you, you had a lot of, um, a lot of older people running, you know, being the, the people that like kind of sign you in and scan your tickets and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, the nice people, very cordial, all that kind of stuff, great customer service. But you're wondering if they were going to be, you know, on the lookout for someone who uh, could do some harm. And uh, so anyway, that's, uh, you know, that's why I brought this one up and something to consider, you know, when you're in big big uh situations like that like in houston they always have different parades they have different festivals they have different things like that and i'm like man you know those are you get into those and they don't even check you there i mean there's no you don't you just park and you just you know go in and you just wonder you know how how easy it would be to harm people that way and so um anyway uh, you hate to think about that. You hate hate to think like that. You hate to to wonder about that and to be so paranoid. But um, I, I think that's the, the fact of the matter is is that we are uh, we're living in times like that. All right. So uh, that's a, a game plan for surviving an arena attack at preparednessadvice.com. And like I said, there's a couple of links here that uh, that go to like panic crowds and situational awareness and, and different links that you'll want to go check out. All right, next article, I want to talk a little bit about this one, and then I have some comments on this one as well. comes to us from askaprepper.com. The, uh, the title of the article is How to Make Money Off-Grid, Making a Living from Your Homestead. Now, some of you might not have a homestead. You might not have property. Uh, but I do want you to start thinking a little bit about this, uh, about what are other ways that you can make income. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just uh, in a minute as we get to the end here. Um, let's go ahead and start reading this one. How to make money off-grid, making a living from your homestead. There are literally hundreds of ways to earn an income from your off-grid homestead. The trick is finding a way to earn income that still allows you time to enjoy the off-grid lifestyle. What's the point in moving to an off-grid homestead if you spend the day cooped up trying to earn a living? If you can keep your expenses low and stay out of debt, there are plenty of creative options to make a living while only working a few hours a week. I don't know about that working only a few hours a week, but uh, definitely you you are. I, I think the the whole purpose of the homestead is your your own person, and you get to do you know you get to call the shots. All right, so let's go into some of these things that that are talked about. Farm products. Running a full scale farm takes time, energy, and lots of investment. Even still, you'd be hard pressed to find a farmer these days that's doing well financially. 
If you're hoping to earn income from farm products, skip the big commodities. The market in most places is flooded with things like pork, milk, eggs, and CSA vegetables. Even if they're not commonly available where you live, the margins are so low that you'll be working long hours but still barely making ends meet. All right, so um, let me stop just really, really quick here. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, organic organic meat sells for uh, quite a bit. And uh, I guess it kind of depends on where you're at and what your location is. Um, here where I'm at in the suburbs of Houston, um, I'm in a neighborhood, but I can travel down the road literally two minutes, and I'm in... Uh, pasture land. I'm in areas where, you know, two minutes from here, um, there are big horse stables, you know, where people keep their horses. And um, even in my neighborhood, at the at the back of my neighborhood, there is there's stables, there's horse stables. And so, you know, the July 4th par- uh, parade that goes through the neighborhood, people are riding their horses. And so uh, it's very easy to kind of kind of do that. So even in my area where you have farm farmland and people growing and, and those kinds of things, um, there is still a big big need. I mean, we've got a guy who does uh, bees very close to us, and he uh, he uh, pops up you know every once in a while on a corner uh, you know really close to the house, and I stop and try to load up on honey. I mean, you know, he he, he sells that honey, and so it's uh, but he sells it pretty quickly. I mean, he, he does. He does a good job in that. There's also, I've looked into a CSA before for, for our own family, and there's only one CSA in the in the whole area, right, that comes this way. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of expensive to buy in. I, I think I wanted to say it's $700 a, uh, a year to uh, to buy in. And then they, you know, will, will uh, they promise to give you so much, um, you know, vegetables, uh, pounds of vegetables or whatever every every month, right? And they deliver it to one place and you go and you pick it up there. Uh, you know, somebody who has uh, chosen to be a, a place where, you know, uh, I guess deliver, you know, they, you can come and pick it up. Uh, it was actually a home. And uh, they only had one spot available. So, you know, there are still people out here who want, you know, uh, CSAs and still want to be able to do that, still want to be able to, to, to buy eggs and, and different things like that. So I really, you've got to really pay attention to where you are in the market in your area. Continuing on, if you want to make a living from farm products but still have time to live, stick with high value crops that require a low time investment. Good examples include mushrooms, maple syrup, honey, grafted fruit trees, vegetable plant starts, hatching eggs and chicks, worm castings, and saved seeds seeds from heirloom vegetables. So uh, again, I'm going to go to something that I remember hearing Jack Spirko talk about a while back. He said, do things that are a little bit more exotic than the people around you. So I know that uh, the guys over at uh, an American homestead, you know, they have a variety of, uh, I want to say cucumber. Uh, It's really like a prickly looking one. It's been a while since I've seen it. But there's not too many people that have that out here, right? So he was going to be, he was harvesting it, and or he was growing it and harvesting it and getting the seeds, and he was going to start selling those from an American homestead. Uh, and so, you know, that was one way that they were going to make money on their homestead. Uh, again, going back to Jack Spirko when he talked about, you know, like, hey, so you're doing chickens. Okay, do chickens or whatever, but, you know, why not go something a little bit more exotic to where you can sell 
the eggs, you know, and uh, even if you sold the meat, it'd be you'd get more money from. So, like for ducks, right? And so, if you follow Jack Spirico at all, if you go check out his video, uh, his YouTube channel. Um, he's got the Duck Chronicles, those kinds of things, you know, and so he's always uh, he's always doing something out there, and so he's got those ducks, and uh, you can sell duck eggs, and you can ask uh, more money for them uh, because they're bigger and they're more exotic, and uh, I don't even know where in my area, and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm in the Houston area, I don't even know where I would go find duck eggs, right? So. Um, you know that's something to consider you know go to the more exotic things that you can you know earn some for sure you can earn some money on if you want so that's some a way to do it there if you're if you're looking at that all right so lease or continuing on lease or rent uh, out parts of your land if you've invested in more land than you can readily use yourself then the land itself can be rented or leased to others for a steady income with no extra work on your part an extra pasture can be rented or grazing or sold off as hay and woodlot can be leased out just as the maple sugaring season small-scale farmers are often happy to pay you in cash or veggies for a plot of land to cultivate an overstocked fish pond can be rented out to fishermen who in prime locations pay hundreds of dollars for just a weekend's access to a good fishing hole. Similarly, in hunting season, hunters will pay for access to prime deer or turkey territory. If managed properly, parts of your land can be rented or leased year after year without degrading its value. In most cases, actively managing the landscape in this way will increase yields year after year as hay fields produce more when regularly hayed and ponds produce more fish when not overpopulated. So going back to something I remember, you know, Jack Spirico's done a lot on permaculture and stuff. And, and uh, I remember a question someone asked him uh, about that, you know, they were using their land or renting it out. Um, definitely, if, if you're doing that, make sure that they're going to be organic, right? That they're not going to be putting chemicals down on your land. Um, so that's got to be one of the main, main things that you talk to people about. Um, foraged or wildcraft products. As development marches on, less and less of the world's land is in a wild, untouched state. Your off-grid homestead is in a great position to sustainably harvest these wild treasures and sell them to underserved markets. Things like moral mushrooms and ramps can only be found for a short season and locating a productive patch can be a healthy source of income. Other wild edibles are both common and easy to identify in rural and wilderness areas, but they still fetch a high price in urban markets. A good example is sumac powder, which is in demand as the popularity or ethnic cuisines increases. Sumac is incre incredibly common in the wild. It just takes a little time and know-how to harvest it and find the right market. Many wild medicinal plants are commonly available weeds, and all it takes is a little time and know-how to harvest them and process them into high-value tinctures, salves, and teas. As little as a teaspoon worth of a commonly available forged medicinal herb can be transformed into a tincture that sells for $10 to $12 per ounce. I would second that about the tincture. I remember buying a hot echinacea tincture uh, from someone a while back. I can't even remember who. Uh, they, they did provide the recipe. I mean, you can make it your own, and I did. Eventually, I did make it. But the first time I tried it, I, I did buy it from them. And uh, So you can make big bottles, and then you can bottle it. Uh, or you can make a lot of it, bottle it, and then sell it, and uh, you know that's something that you can do. Teaching or hosting classes. Once you've taken the time to learn to live from your land, there are others that would be happy to pay to learn from your experience. 
Homestead butchery classes are becoming more common, and as people take an increasing interest in pr processing their own foods, these classes are selling out as quickly as they're booked. Once you're established as an authority on a subject, it's easy to bring in three to $500 per person for a single day or weekend class in basic homestead skills like hog processing, charcuterie, timber farming, or timber framing, or beekeeping. Longer form certifications require a week or two of study, are also quite lucrative, and a two-week long permaculture design course can bring in as much as 4000 per student. If you're not qualified to teach something like this, hosting a teacher on your land can have more than just financial benefits. With courses in such high demand, teachers are seeking out venues where they can use the land as a workshop to teach the students to plan and construct an edible paradise. Not only will a teacher pay you for the privilege of using your land, you'll also enjoy the benefits of free labor from the students as they practice their skill building horticulture beds or planting your permaculture orchard. Host retreats and campers. You'll love the pristine beauty of your piece of off-grid heaven, and there's good chance others would pay to experience it for just a weekend. Most people have heard of Airbnb as a way to book a cheap room while traveling, but there are other sites that specialize in connecting people who have land with others who want to camp in a remote location. Hip Camp specializes in bookkeeping camping vacations where someone pays you to pop up a tent on your land for the night, no amenities required. Similarly, with enough space and just a bit of organization skills, you can host group retreats. Yoga and meditation retreats are a good fit with an off-grid property where the rustic lack of amenities will be seen as a feature rather than a drawback. Learn a trade. There was a time just last century when just about everyone had to make a living from their off-grid homestead. Learn a trade where you can work with your hands and contribute to your local community. Carpentry, wood carving, and forest skills are a good start if you're young and strong, but otherwise learning softer arts like spinning yarn or weaving can be taken up by just about anyone with hands and patience. These forgotten skills are in demand as people look for high-quality, locally-made products. If you've installed off-grid electric systems on your homestead, those skills are likely in demand in your area as others need a home with as others need a hand with their own off-grid setups. Using what you've learned to be a small-scale solar and wind contractor will help you make connections with other like-minded folk and keep you learning and up-to-date so you can maintain your own system. Work remotely. If all else fails, work remotely. Satellite and radio internet reach even the Satellite and radio internet reach even the remotest areas of the globe and allow anyone with a computer to pick up work freelance, writing, editing, or as a virtual assistant. There are many high-skilled jobs that can be done out of an office with just simple internet access. Even lacking computer skills, typing can be learned quickly and with practice and data entry and transcription are still in high demand even in our otherwise high-tech world. Preparedness is becoming part of mainstream culture, and writing and speaking about your own experiences in, pre in prepping can earn you a profitable following podcasting, blogging, or with your own YouTube channel. All it takes is a little confidence to share your hard-earned skills with a great community of preppers out there in your global community. All right, so that last paragraph, let me tell you, there's not too many people making a living off of preparedness <laughs> blogs. Maybe they're making, uh, well, and, this, and that's where I wanted to go. Uh, with this you you want to find ways to make uh, extra or multiple streams of income so uh, on this article if you if you stuck with me on this one 
if you have land, these are ways that you can bring in other streams of income. These are ways that you can bring in, uh, you know, people like, you know, Boy Scout troops are always looking. Uh, for, you know, in my area, uh, we just got word that one of the big Boy Scout troops that we used to uh, go to in San Marcos uh, was shutting down. I think it was this weekend or maybe next weekend. They're shutting down. So it was a decommissioning, uh, decommissioning uh, ceremony. Uh, you know, I, I spent a couple of summers there as a Boy Scout. Uh, for those of you in Houston, the Camp Strake uh, was sold out in the woodlands. It's a very, very, you know, high value, high profitable area, and they sold they sold that out. I don't know where where uh, where Boy Scouts are going. I don't know if they opened up another Boy Scout area. I mean, Camp Strake was really, really nice, and uh, El Rancho Cima was really nice as well in San Marcos. So I don't know if they're if they're uh, putting up other Boy Scout camps, but you know. Uh, having an area and just putting a, a little bit of facilities up right you know uh, uh you know when we went to, to boy scout camp we had a very very rough uh shower you know just one big open area with uh some spouts and and anyway so it wasn't it wasn't anything big and so you can easily do something like that and have you know boy scouts come out and let the loc let local boy scouts know or even the boy scout uh like the sam houston area council for the houston area could let people know when they when people call up and say hey we're looking for uh you know a place where our our boy scouts can go camp and they would let them know you know and we just don't want to go to a a park a national you know whatever uh forest or whatever uh we're looking for something private so anyway uh you know you can you can uh do that but the main focus was i wanted you to start thinking about other means of income other ways other streams of income, the things that you can come in and bring in. Uh, you know, my wife makes jewelry, um, you know, and she sells that. She also makes name tags uh, where, you know, we work for the school district. Everybody has a name tag, and so it's a badge holder, actually. And so, that, you know, that's one way that she can, uh, she has a little bit of spending money, right? Um, there's all different kinds of things that people can wind up doing. Um, I remember, I think it was Seth Godin talked about this one person who started out, she would do one page painting a day and put it up on eBay back back when eBay was uh, you know more of an auction site and she would do that and sell it wow hope you heard that one uh, the big thunder um, and she would sell it you know and so at first it was like 10 15 dollars no big deal but it got to the point where she was bringing in lots of money you know thousands of dollars every day because people it caught on people found out who she was and she was doing putting quality work out but she would sit down she would paint it you know paint something in the morning and then you know she had a couple of them i guess you know in the in the hole and she would put them up on ebay so that's one way that you can make money so another way that you can make money is with a preparedness blog, you know, uh, getting out there. And it's like everybody who gets into preparedness starts thinking about, hey, man, I could, you know, start writing articles on this and those kinds of things. And I uh, just want you to know you're not going to get rich. There are very few websites out there that are making a lot of money but or a lot of money to be able to sustain someone full time. But there are lots of things that you can do because it can lead to writing a book. Uh, it can lead to uh, doing some, uh, you know, podcasting. It can lead to uh, putting some courses together. It can lead to those kinds of things. You just got to work at it. It's just like everything else. 
Um, you know, and then you have like uh, Amazon affiliates. You know, uh, it's one thing that I, I I sent out an email to the Prepper website list, and, and like I said, like I told, uh, and, and I mentioned it on the podcast. I'm looking at ways to to cut costs. And uh, I don't want to put up a, a donate button. I don't want to do a Patreon account. But I, I did say I did tell the the you know the people on the list like hey if you if you and this is the list that um, sends out the daily emails from uh, Prepper website. And I really don't promote that one anymore. Um, but you know it's like hey if you want to help out uh, if you want to support Prepper website if in what I'm doing if you would just buy from Amazon if you would just go to the website and click on one of the Amazon links to go to Amazon so many people buy and you know what so many people took me up on that I could I could just see because people were purchasing things and so you get a little percentage you know, like I said you're not getting rich off of that but it it does bring in a little bit uh, extra money and, and help you know when, when we need to buy something I can go to Amazon and I can I can buy it so um, that's that was one of the main reasons why I brought this up and if you are in the um, um, I didn't really talk about it too too much on the financial section of the free e-course when you sign up for the email list and you get the free e-course but finances is a big deal you want to get out of debt you know who knows that extra money that you earn could be going towards paying off debt can be going towards you know some of the money that I earned for advertising on prepper website at the very very beginning went to buy preps and things like that so um, I didn't have to take that out of our our family budget, which my, I'm sure my wife was very very happy about. You know, so uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do out there. What are you good at? What are what are things that people like come to you for and say, hey, will you do this or can you help me with that? Um, you never know what what you know. There's people out there that will pay for that. I know that there's things out there that I can do, but I you know happily pay for it. You know because it saves me time and I can focus on other things I need to focus on. So uh, you know, kind of want you to thinking about that. If you have land, you have a lot of options. If you don't have land, there are a lot of options out there as well for you. You just got to find what's going to work for you. There's a lot of things you can do. All right, uh, and there are a lot of comments in uh, this one, and people with like 25 comments and people just giving some advice there uh, about that. All right, last one is kind of a funny one. Um, it's the four morons of the apocalypse, and so it's kind of it's kind of comedic. Uh, there is some uh, some funny things, some sarcasm there that's written into the article, uh, but it's also uh, you know there's some truth to it, and some reality. So maybe there's a like a reality check that maybe all of us can uh, can check out and and make sure that we're we're good. So uh, again, this comes to us from a, a fairly new website, at least that I've been linking to on Prepper website, called Effective Tactics, and uh, you know started started linking to them, and I'm like, hey, you know, can we read your stuff? And they're they're more than happy to to say, yeah, go for it. So uh, EffectiveTactics.com, the four morons of the apocalypse. Let's go ahead and start reading this one. And I'll just tell you, there are a lot of links to uh, to here, and some some are Amazon, and then some are to other articles. The world of prep preparedness is a vast, as vast as the dangers that are all that we all prepare for: supplies, tools, food, water, solar gardens, chickens, livestock, canning, knitting, reading, planning, welding, hunting, fishing, dot dot dot, etc. There are so many things to do, learn, and stock up on to prepare yourself and your family. Just what are you preparing for? Wildfire, tornado, hurricane, financial collapse, political or civil unrest, EMP, CME, SOL, PDQ. Sometimes the whole prospect seems overwhelming. It's best to take a step back, take a breath, 
and make a well-rounded plan that takes several possibilities and incorporates them. Take the whole thing in manageable bites. I suggest starting with an evacuation plan. Remember, preparedness is not a sprint. Preparing is a marathon. It even has mile markers. Today's article is a warning to those starting out or just getting established. Those who are well on their way down the wrong road are harder to turn around. Here is your warning. Don't get stuck in one area of prepping. We're going to use four common stereotypes of people as object lessons. We'll refer to them as the four morons of the apocalypse. I'll introduce you to the cast of characters as we go. The gear junkie, also known as Maw Ninja. You've seen him. You know you have. This guy goes to Walmart wearing half of a combat loadout just to grab a carton of smokes. He's got black hawk pants and his zombie team hat. He wears 5'11 shooting glasses just to take a leak. His Merrill tactical boots are the same ones that Delta guys wear. If you stumble across him at the range, a rare sighting indeed, you can't miss him. He's the one with the 37-pound AR-15. There's a picture here with the AR-15 that just has so many gadgets on there. It's funny. It's a gadget. It's got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. It's got more who's it's and what's it than the Little Mermaid. I have a daughter. Don't judge. <laughs> now, none of that stuff is bad by itself. You need some good gear. You need quality equipment. Cargo pants with handy pockets to help carry your EDC gear are great. Good boots are priceless, especially if you can't just run to the nearest 511 shop to pick up a new set of side zits. Good shot shooting glasses are ear protection and ear protection are also essential. The problem is gear isn't really a plan. It's part of a plan. It just can't be your only plan. That's like no plan at all. This guy has a quote-unquote plan. He plans on taking what others have. He plans on doing that at gunpoint. That's not a plan. That's like Russian roulette. Sure, it'll work a few times, but eventually you're going to land on a loaded chamber and catch lead from one of your intended victims. Don't be the gear junkie. He's dead. Now, let's introduce you to everyone's other favorite prepper, the food dude. No no offense, ladies, I just couldn't come up with a catchy name for stocked pantry gals. This is the guy who has 40 food rotation racks in his garage and no room for tools, let alone a car. Not that converting parking space into food storage is bad, but this guy has foregone every other aspect of prepping to make space for acres of canned foods, myriads of mylar-packed meals, buckets of wheat, buckets of rice, buckets of beans. He's even got buckets full of buckets. Ever wonder if he knows how to bake bread from that wheat? Can he even bake if the grid goes down? A solar oven would serve him well if only he had left space to keep one. He even converted his kitchen cabinets with can rotation units. With all that food, I wonder if he has one for his toilet paper. Heck, I wonder if he even stocked any extra toilet paper. Maybe it's in that garage attic somewhere. Speaking of which, here's another problem he's going to run into. He never considered the major temperature fluctuations of his garage. That metal door sits facing the full glory of the August sun. His garage goes from 30 degrees in the winter to 100 degrees in the summer. Like the article about the enemies of food storage says, that's not going to be good for those bushels of buckets. Food dude, problems don't stop there. Oh no, he's got more trouble ahead. You see, food dude doesn't have a plan to replenish his stores. He has no garden. He has no coop. Just like going to the store, what's on the shelves is all he has. He also has no security plan. You know what that means. Yeah, Gear Junkie is going to steal his food. Gear Junkie can be a jerk like that. 
They say he's okay once you get to know him. You know what that means. It means he's a jerk, but you get used to it. Poor food dude. Should have never told Gear Junkie about all those buckets of buckets. But hey, that's part of the security plan he didn't have. Keeping your mouth shut. It really is part of, a pan- of the plan. Don't be the food dude. He's dead. Ah, the prepper fairy tale of the witless woodsman. We've all heard the hapless tale of the witless woodsman. You've seen him on TV. You've read about him in magazines. You've seen the articles he written on his blog. You've heard him at Starbucks. Yep, you met. You might know him better by his catchphrase. When it hits the fan, I'm gonna go live in the woods. He's easy to spot in the wild. He's like an Amber Combrey superhero in a flannel cape. You can smell his beard balm over the sweet scent of his Starbucks smoked butterscotch latte. The Levi's five tinny skinny jeans match his Doc Martin boots. Now, the good news is, his boots are really well made, and those Levi's, while not good for his future chances of procreation, are, du- are durable and of solid construction. The bad news is, he's a hipster. He has no weapon for hunting, no knowledge for gathering, and no skill for survival. He might have learned how to tie a knot when he was a Boy Scout, but he was only there for one meeting. Turns out there was a chance he might get dirt under his fingernails. Bummer. If he had waited another week, they would they were going to cover various methods of starting a fire. Poor witless woodsman. He's going to be very cold without shelter. He's going to be pretty hungry without food. Imagine how elated he will be when everyone else with no skills shows up to live in the woods. I wonder which one of the rules of three will get him first. Three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food. Your guess is as good as mine. I guess it will depend on when and where he is when the SHTF. Minnesota in January, I'm guessing the three hours without shelter. It's a shame he didn't know how poorly his fancy lighter works in extreme cold. He couldn't even light his fake Cuban cigar. Too bad he didn't have a solar unit to charge his vape. He could have used the battery and a gum wrapper to start a fire. Now he is frozen to death in the land of 10,000 lakes. Don't be the witless woodsman. He's dead. Our last cast member isn't necessarily a prepper by definition, but they are definitely known for their incomplete preparedness plans, and they are a large number of those in society introducing the nanny state numbskull. Oh yes, the nanny, nanny state numbskull is undoubtedly the most common variety of prepper who thinks that their plan is all they will need in a disaster. What we know is that what we know is that they are a little short in this department, or they would know that they are a limited amount of resources and supplies being handed out by a limited number of people. So, what happens when those who are supposed to be helping the nanny state numbskull are too busy barely surviving on their own? Oh sure, the nanny state numbskull has some supplies. They have a pantry full of seaweed snacks and some gluten-free, free-range, hand-spun, dye-free quinoa pasta that they can put in their Instapot. But what happens when that runs out? What happens if there is no power to run that amazing, time-saving, pressure-cooking wonder? You can only survive so long on hummus and veggie straws. You know what I can't figure out? Why do few people like chickpeas, garbanzos, but so many like hummus? But I digress. The nanny state numbskull only has enough to last a week. Anyway, they will languish weekly with their ever-present hope that the FEMA angels will come riding magic cornucopias of organic vegan MREs. Imagine how quick their disdain for heartless carnivores will wane in the anguish of starvation. 
How delighted will they be if offered a meal ready to eat of spaghetti with meat sauce or chicken with noodles? The very harsh reality is that FEMA can't help them because they will be overwhelmed with millions of city dwellers. Too bad the nanny state numbskull bought that tiny house on wheels and moved out to the mountains and with the grid down. There's no way to, for them to charge their Tesla Model S. If only those pesky solar panels weren't so huge, they might have sprung for the whole off-grid system. Really, who lives in a tiny house with a half acre of solar acres next to it? Alas, the nanny state numbskull has no way to get to the city for rations, and there was no space in their tiny house to store food. Don't be the nanny state numbskull, he's dead. So I don't want anyone to be upset by these silly descriptions of some of our fellow preppers. I just want this to serve as a warning to be sure that your preparedness plan is well thought out, well rounded, and well protected. Most importantly, have a plan. So there are, um, like I said, there are tons of links here, and a lot of them are going to go to Amazon. And some of them are going, you know, when you hover over a link at the bottom, it kind of tells you where it's going. So you can kind of go and, uh, you know, see where these links these other links are, are taking you to uh, other other places on his website that are giving you some information, uh, other articles and things like that. So, yeah, because there's just a lot of links that are going to Amazon. But uh, some other links there that uh, that you'll want to check out. All right, so, uh, you know, interesting article. You know, there's there's I think there's probably even more morons out there, right? Uh, we could probably come up with a bunch of different other uh, types of prepper out, you know, that are out there and uh, come up with our own thing. Uh, the thing is, and I like what this article says, is that you need to start with a plan. You need to have a plan uh, of, of where you're going, what you're prepping for, and, and that's it. So um, that's, that's, that's the starting point for you right there. And uh, maybe we need to talk about that here in the future and uh, maybe work on a, a, a good article that kind of takes step-by-step on that. Um, maybe someone's listening who has a website and wants to do that. Uh, you can do that. I, I have my own ideas about that as well. So uh, that's it for episode 101. Thanks so much for listening. If you get a chance, come by the website and drop me a line in the comment section or hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, always appreciate hearing from uh, the listeners out there. So, uh, hey, we're off to uh, a new week. And uh, if you haven't got, uh, if you're not signed up on the on the email list, go ahead and sign up. And uh, like I said, I'll be sending out information on uh, the Sun Oven, uh, you know, as, as we go. Uh, it's going to be next week uh, for sure, the webinar, but uh, good information. All right. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.